Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I want to speak to you this evening about make the circle bigger. Make the circle bigger. You know that awkward moment where you're like, you want to get into a circle on the dance floor. Stefan's like, I know what you're talking about. I've been there. You want to get in, but there's people in it, and they are doing moves you don't know. And there just seems to be no space. You kind of make your way around the outside, no way in there. You try to go around this way. There's just no way into the circle. I want to speak about make the circle bigger tonight. And we are finishing up just a short three-week series called All for the One, out of Luke chapter 15. And we've made it on, it's not the principle of Luke 15. And if you don't know what Luke 15 is, and tonight's your first night of church, welcome. This is perfect for you. But Luke 15 is the one where it speaks about, it starts out, it says, actually, there were 99 sheep. Jesus encounters, let me start here. Jesus is hanging out with some guys. The problem is, they weren't the guys the religious people thought he should be hanging out with. Those religious guys are called the Pharisees. And these Pharisees look at Jesus and say, but why are you hanging out with the tax collectors And the notorious sinners, it's like a big bracket, notorious sinners, those are anything you can imagine, it's in that box. And Jesus says, I'm not actually going to answer you, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you three stories. And these three stories will not just tell you who I am, more importantly, they'll tell you who our Father in heaven is. And he starts out with an amazing story of a hundred sheep, he says, but one goes wayward, and what does the shepherd do? Well, if you're a business guy, and those sheep are your money, you look after the 99, surely, he says, no, there's a, there's a shepherd who cares so for the wayward sheep that he leaves the 99 in the safety of their togetherness and he goes after the one and he's persistent and he gets the one. And then there's another story. He says, there's a lady. She's got 10 shekels. And in the darkness of her house in the days of candles, she's looking for the shekels. She can't find the shekel. That's one on the floor. And eventually she finds it and she gets so excited about finding the one shekel that was missing she calls her neighbors and calls her friends and says, let's have a party. I found my missing shekel. But the pinnacle of these three stories, Jesus is building them up. And he's driving and he's cracking open the hearts of religious men. Saying, with this story, of the shepherd, I just want your hearts to open up a little bit. Then the shekel, I want your hearts to open up a little bit more. And then he says, but the pinnacle of the story is not a financial entity sheep. It's not a, a coin or money. The pinnacle is lost sons and daughters coming home. And there is this realization and revelation that has to come into every person. The first one we don't struggle with. The first one is this. There is a God in heaven who is passionate about finding lost things. Do you get it? I don't know about you, but I'm passionate about finding lost things. In my house, it's a TV remote. In my house, it's the keys. In my house, it's generally my wife's cell phone. Don't tell her she's not here tonight, so I could say that one. But it's fine, my iPhone, bing, 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 oh, it's in your bag. That's just our house. I'm passionate about it. We celebrate and it's exciting. But there's a second revelation that has to enter into the mix that is more revealing of who God is and what He is passionate about. And it's this realization that God isn't just passionate about lost sheep and lost shekels. His greatest passion, His greatest obsession, His greatest focus is lost sons and daughters those who are distant and far from him. That is the pinnacle of the story. Jesus is saying, guys, I'm trying to get the hearts of a Pharisee. Why? Because there is a limited amount of time left. Luke 9 tells us Jesus, he had set his face to Jerusalem. 
He was on his journey to Jerusalem already. He knew that he would be the living sacrifice. He knew that he would be the perfect sacrifice, the only way man could enter back into relationship with God. And he had put his mind there and said, there's only so much time, I need you to get this. It's no different for us today. We've got to get this. That there is a burning passion inside of the Father in heaven's heart. And that burning passion runs so deep. And it's not a passion for church services. Sorry to disappoint you. It's not a passion for buildings. It's not a passion for social justice. It is a passion for sons and daughters who are far and distant from their father to come back into relation with the father. And he is passionate about that thing. I really think we should have got more excited about that one. I'm just being honest. It's about who God is. He is a passionate God. I want to show you a photo about passion. Can we put up the photo of Ben, please? And this photo, to me, I was not here, I was overseas, but this was a photo that, um, um, have we got that one? This was a photo, I was overseas, and I wasn't here, and my boy Ben, who's seven years old, played his first rugby match. And when I look at that photo, I would think, like, he's just scored a try, or he's just done a three-step sidestep, I mean, he's just bamboozled it. I want to tell you, Ben didn't touch a ball that whole match. He didn't, even, he didn't even touch the ball. He didn't touch the ball. He pushed in the mall, but he pushed the mall the wrong way. But that photo captivates my boy, who's a passionate boy, because one of his mates scored a rugby try. And he just happened to be on the field, and he happened to be wearing the jersey. And he is so pumped. Every vein inside of him, every emotion inside of him is pumped and passionate. When you look at that boy, that's just a photo of a young boy on a rugby field who didn't touch the ball. I'm trying to get you to understand the passion of a father in heaven who's longing for his children to come home. Far more passionate than that young man could ever be. And Jesus says, I'm going to reveal in these three stories these, these realizations of who the father is because you see it in me. Well, number one, goes after the worst. You think you're the worst? Now, Jesus goes after a sheep that goes and he rolls down banks and he's dirty and he's full of mud. Then he finds a shekel in the dirt this place, and then he goes after a son who's ended up in prostitution, spent his money on worldly living, he's wasted it all. No, that's pretty bad. He says, no, that son begins a journey home. Why? Because there's a father in heaven who's after the worst. Second, he says he's persistent. This sheep he couldn't find, he said he kept on going till he found it. That shekel, she kept on looking until she found it. This son, he kept on going to the borders and the perimeters of his farm, not focused on, well, is that field fruitful? Or is that field yielding profit? No, he's saying, actually, all of this matters for nothing unless my son comes home. Because my son is out there. Yes, I've got one son here, but my son is out there. And I want him home. I want him close to me. That's the gospel, guys. It's nothing but the gospel. It's not a principle. That's why this isn't the principle of 99 and 1. It's the heart of God. And then he reveals it's not just love the worst and persistent. He actually, he's the shepherd who then, he's so committed to the process. We see a shepherd who carries the sheep. We see a father who covers his son when he returns home. But the ultimate revelation of who God is, is a son who died on a cross and covered us completely with his blood. And lastly, we reminded that we have a father who loves celebrating death to life. He, he ruined funerals wherever he went, Jesus. He just ruined them. They're like, stay dead. Oh, Jesus is here. Watch this space. 
He kept ruining funerals. And he wants to keep ruining funerals. But the problem is we've got to see death for what it is. The Bible says, and Jesus says, death is when you aren't in relationship with the Father. And the only way relationship with the Father is through the blood of Jesus. That's why we sing these songs with passion and zeal. That's why people get animated and excited, not because of a style of church, but because of who Jesus is and what he does for us in bringing us to the Father. It is glorious. I don't know about you, but I've never heard anyone describe their earthly father as glorious. Jesus, the Bible describes our heavenly father as glorious. And he is calling and he's revealing. And I want to tell you there's this truth that we mentioned last week and it has challenged me Every day of this week, and I said it, it's this fact that sometimes I've got to be prepared to lose what I love to find what he loves. Are you prepared to lose what you love? Well, let's start with something simple, comfort. I like the comforts of my home. And yet God says, you're not going to meet my lost sons and daughters in your home. You're going to meet them in places you might be slightly uncomfortable in. But in those places, you will find them. What are you prepared to lose so that you can find what he loves? And on the other side of finding those he loves, there is a father going, that's my boy. See, and there's this whole story, and I want to jump to Luke 15. As we've seen the prodigal return and the father's run to him, he said, put the ring on him, put the robe on him, put shoes on him, bless him, give him the best food. All of this is going down. But everyone forgets, out in the field, there's another guy, the older brother. And tonight we're speaking about the older brother. I want to read from verse 24. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. That's why he's celebrating. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Well, not everyone. Because it says in verse 25, Now the older son, who was out working in the field when his brother returned... And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of his servants and asked, what's going on here? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father's throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, father, listen, how many years I've been working like a slave for you? performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've never once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, My son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. There's just some one-liners that catch me in that amazing, amazing scripture. Here's the context. This brother's returned. He squandered everything he was given. And let's be honest, who cannot sympathize and empathize with the older brother. It's like, if you were the older dude and you've been working your butt off in the field for dad, you think you've done everything right, you deserve everything, but you've taken nothing because you're working for your inheritance, your other brother's gone, you the faithful son. And all of a sudden, the other guy appears. 
And he just asked the very honest question that I think most of us would ask, what's going on here? I'm hearing the boof, boof, boof of the bass pumping. I'm seeing my favorite cows gone from the field as Gabe showed us last week. I'm seeing all my mates on work in the field and I'm missing out. What's going on here? And then he finds out and says, no, he gets angry and he refuses to go in. It's a pretty honest response. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've walked with God a long time. I've been in the church most of my life. I'm like, hey, God, I've been really, really faithful. And you see someone else fly through into something or take over this or do really well in this. I'm going, hey, God, if I'm being honest, there's a wrestle here. So I'm the only one. I know I'm, I'm the, I am the older brother. All of you are like, nah, never, never. No, there's, our hearts are fragile. Our hearts are fragile. But what does God want? Our hearts that are fragile. He wants those. And then it continues, and, and the, the son says to the father, he says, Father, listen. Now, if you know culture of that day, you realize sons don't speak to fathers that way in that culture. And so he's passionate. He says, Dad, how many years have I been working for you like a slave? See, he gets rude with his father. He speaks strongly to his father, and he's lost perspective. And the father graciously speaks back to him and says, everything I have is yours. He says, you've always been with me. You've always been with me. The greatest gift to a son is not land. The greatest gift to a son is not, not a legacy or financial whatever. It's not degrees. It's not a fancy name. The greatest legacy to a son is you've always been with me. I want you with me. I can give you a million things, or I can have you with me. Everything I have is yours. See, the challenge of the scripture and the challenge of the prodigal son and the challenge of the picture that Jesus is portraying to the Pharisees because he's trying to get their hearts. They're saying, you can work hard for God and you can go to church every week of your life. You can do all the right things and you can get it all right and do all your Christian tasks, but you will forget the joy of being with him. I've been a Christian most of my life. I don't want to forget the privilege and the joy of being with God. It's Pentecost Sunday. God manifested in the Holy Spirit amongst His people. He, he presents Himself inside of the hearts of men. God is with us. I don't want to live a life in practical, real terms, knowing that God can be with me, but never living it. Never experience the exhilaration and the joy of it. This son has forgotten that. And he reminds us, and this father reminds us of what rocks the father's heart. And he drives the big wedge, saying, I'm cracking open the hearts of these Pharisees with the words from this father. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone. But now he is alive. Let's just stop there. Was he dead? Was he dead? He wasn't dead. But in real terms, he was dead and gone. And to be separated from the Father in a spiritual term is death. It's no life. But now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. And the Father says, that's the only reason I need. It's the only reason I need. And Luke 15 cracks open our hearts for what breaks his. And the passion of the Father is revealed. I want to say this is a journey... And the father's waiting. And yes, he's waiting at the boundaries for the, the distant wayward son to come home. But that's not the only son he's waiting for. 
He's waiting for the older son, the religious son, who keeps staying outside of his presence, but enjoying the perimeter of his farm. Saying, I'm not just waiting for this son to come home from death to life. I'm waiting for this son to come out of the death of religion, which cannot lead to life, to come close. I want both my sons close. I've got many amazing privileges in my life, but most of them relate to being a part of stories where men and women have come home to God have experienced new life for the first time. One of them was a great friend of mine. We were schooled together from standard, or class one, which is grade one, six years old, until matric, and then we played sports together after. He's six foot six. He ended up playing all blacks, lock. One of my best mates. And for years, I loved this guy. He was my friend, and he knew I was the church guy. You know, you're that guy. You go to church. That's cool for you. And then there's that moment. We're 19. We're at my digs in... At one in the morning, we'd been out together, and we're talking, and his life stuff was going on. And there's that, that moment where God starts to say, I want you to tell my son to come home. And to be brutally honest, in those moments, I didn't always let courage. I start processing, well, what's the cost to me? Like the older brother, what about me? What if he doesn't respond? What if he rejects? What if he thinks I'm a weirdo? One of the greatest privileges I have is remembering praying for my mate, six foot six, with my hands on his shoulders as it would have been, as we both wept because he prayed a prayer that Jesus would be his savior, his friend, his healer, his everything. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life. One of the greatest moments I'll remember and celebrate. 88B Rosetta Road. I lived there for four years and the one thing I remember is praying with my friend Greg. Why? Because it's not just he was okay. He was a good person. It's not about okay, a good person. It's about death to life. Come on! And I want to ask the question of you, as I've been forced to engage this question of myself, why don't I? Why don't I reach out? Why don't I tell the story and the testimonies of God? What stops me sometimes from going after the distant sons and daughters of God, those who are far from their father? Please understand this. Yes, those who haven't believed yet and those who haven't put their faith in Jesus are far from God. But there are a whole bunch of believers who also have the potential to be far from God. That's what this picture tells us. And I, as I looked at my own heart, I'm a marketing guy and marketing here, five Ps. There were five Ps that popped into my mind. Stay with me. Number one, prejudice. Why don't I share? What makes the circle of influence in my life smaller and smaller and smaller? What keeps people on the outside of what God is doing on the inside of my life? What keeps people on the outside of what God has done on the inside, where he's brought death to life? And as we navigate this and we see this, the first one is prejudice. Prejudice is a subtle thing. James 2 says this, my friends, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. Suppose a rich man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes to your meeting and a poor man in ragged clothes also comes. If you show him more respect to the well-dressed man and say to him, have this best seat here, but say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my feet then you are guilty of creating distinctions among yourselves and of making judgments based on evil motives. Prejudice. Making a prejudgment of someone based on some external factor. What about preference? Just, it's more subtle than prejudice. It comes across more nice, but I just have a preference 
I don't want to hang around people like that or people who do this. I have a preference that limits and starts making the circle smaller. What about principle? Well, I have this principle in my life that actually I, I, I don't hang around people who entertain and engage in areas of sin like this. Well, let me tell you about Jesus who chooses and is caught out hanging around with tax collectors and notorious sinners. Well, what about pain? See, I've been around, people have hurt me, and, and that kind of person reminds me of this sort of person they're going to draw in my life, and they're gonna, there's going to be a pain in my story because of their story in my life. And all of a sudden, I find the story is getting smaller and smaller. What about pride? Well, what if they reject me because of Jesus? It's a real thing. If you've ever told anyone about Jesus, there's a reality that some people will reject the gospel. And what if they reject the gospel? They're rejecting me. Well, you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Get used to the fact that you're going to be misunderstood. Get used to the fact that not everyone's going to... I understand this. I like being liked as a kid. I told, I confessed this morning. I did stupid, crazy things. I once stuck my head in a, bot, in a bucket of whitewash for five grand because I knew it would entertain the crowd. My head was itchy for like a week. I couldn't get the stuff out of my hair. Why am I telling you this and how does this land in our worlds? Well, I want to give you a picture. Because your world and my world and my life and your life are called to influence for the gospel. If that's the pinnacle, well, don't tell me my life exists for the hundred sheep and the financial wealth in my life. And I'll participate in that by giving. No, no, that's part of your story. But your story is to see sons and daughters come. Don't tell me about the coins in the bank and how you lost some and you got back. And that's awesome. That is awesome. But the pinnacle of God's obsession and focus are lost sons and daughters. Can I ask some people to stand? Show me so have you got your little one with you? No. Why don't you stand for me? And and uh, right at the back there, why don't you stand, babe? Not Ryder. Hit me your name again one more. I've had a blank. Strider. It's so close to Ryder, though, let's be honest. I was like so close, and now you've just embarrassed me. It's your like there, my pride is gone. I'm like a terrible pastor. It's okay. It's okay. It'll make more sense later. Strider. And and um Cola, won't you stand for me, my friend? And where we got? So I need some ladies because now I'm already getting prejudicial. Alfie, won't you stand for me? Sam, won't you stand for me? Trudy, won't you stand for me? Warren, won't you stand for me, bud? Justin at the back there, stand for me. Let me just have a quick gaze across the crew. I need some more. Graham, come on, stand for me, buddy. I'm just trying to give you a picture. Imagine this is my life, and these guys don't know God. And God says, actually, I want you to have an influence in these lives. I want you to have an influence. And I say, oh, God, I'm up for that journey. I love you, Jesus, and I know your passion for people. There's just some things in the way, God. Just some things. Well, let's start at the top of the list. Prejudice. Well, let's, let's start off light and fluffy. Well, I, I just don't like tall people. Sorry, Graham, I just... I've wanted to be over six foot. I prayed my whole life to be tall. But you are tall, and so I have a prejudice against tall people. So I can't really impact your life. We're not going to gel, and there's going to be no gospel in your story. Sorry, why don't you take a seat? And then, but let's land it a bit more real. We live in South Africa. Actually, my friend Kola. We are of different races. We have had different backgrounds. We have had different journeys in life. And if there is prejudice... On a racial basis here, immediately, there can't be a grace flow of life. And so immediately, 
That story is shut down. Won't you sit down for me, Cola, please? And Strada, well, let me just give you a preference. Uh, I mean, it's like he gets very, very excited in worship. He likes dance. He gets very excited. And then there's the other thing that he wears socks with slops. I just have a preference. I can't hang around with people who wear socks with slops. I just, it's like a preference. It's not a big thing. No one's going to judge me for it. But it starts impacting the gospel. And the circle's getting smaller. The circle, you see the circle's getting smaller. And then, and then I, ha- I have a preference. Here's my friend Alfie. She has amazing tattoos all over her body. If you have a prejudice or a preference against tattoos today, please knock out your potential influence to anyone under 30. Because this next generation are fascinated by tattoos. And God says, and, and the Bible says, actually, if you have a preference against someone, well, actually, I'm not going to have influence into Alfie's story. Why don't you take your seat, please? And maybe, maybe there's a principle. There's like a, a principle that comes in my life. And I said it this morning when I was growing up. I was told, well, actually, you want to walk out your road of purity? Just don't have girls as your friends. I mean, how whack is that? Anyway, let's just state for what it is. But there's this principle. So actually, sorry, Trudy and Sam, we just can't be mates. And I can't impact your life because we actually can't be mates. I mean, it's whack, but sorry, it's a principle. And then there's other things like pain. So maybe Justin has had a story, and maybe I start to hear some of his story, and things come up in me that actually I've walked with other people, and some of the pains that Justin's walked through, I just don't want to get close to, because I get close to those pains, it's going to affect me, and it's going to give me pain. So actually, I just, actually, Justin, sorry, I, I can't impact, and the circle gets smaller. Why don't you take your seat, please? Maybe the same for Shamisa. There's, there's stories. There's a, there's a burden in her life. And I know, and pastors do this all the time. They hide behind a whole bunch of things because they've experienced pains with people. And I mean, God's saying, I want to impact you to impact Shamisa's life for the gospel. I want my daughter home. Sorry, I can't because there's pain. And maybe Warren, why don't you take your seat? Last, you see the circles getting smaller and smaller. It was 10. Now it's just one. God says, I'm passionate about my sons, but Warren is a son. He's out there. He's far from God saying, but Warren's in a, a businessman. He leads a business. There are people who look up to him. If Warren thinks less of me because I share the gospel for him and I feel rejected in that journey, my pride gets damaged. So I actually can't influence Warren. Won't you sit? So I stand here, and because of pride and prejudice and pain and preference and all these things, the potential influence of my life gets made smaller and smaller and smaller. But let me tell you about Jesus. Because I can't let you off the hook. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Jesus comes and he is judged because he sits amongst the most notorious sinners and tax collectors. Jesus, number one, you talk about prejudice. He was perfect and sinless. He could have had prejudice against every single person on the earth. Why? Because he created them. And he says, I choose to engage them. I choose to come to earth to love them. I choose to lay my life down for them. And then he says, preference? I've been hanging out with the Holy Spirit and with the Father God. They never swear. They never smoke. They never cuss. They never get angry. It's a pretty cool crowd. I choose by preference to still come down. And then he says, actually, you're going to throw principles at me? Well, I'll give you principles for days. Don't sin. 613 laws. I know they'll break all of them. And still, I want them in my space. I want them near to me. Why? Because I know that I'm the only way to the Father. You want to know about pain? He knew every one of those disciples would walk away from him when they came and accused him. He knew they would go running. He was there being caught up and his disciples were scattering left, right, and center. You want to know about pride? 
the King of kings, the perfection of all eternity, came to earth and died on a cross, naked, whipped and beaten and bruised beyond measure so no one could recognize him. You want to know who made the circle bigger? Who didn't have to? Who came to earth that he could keep running? Jesus didn't stop because of pride. He didn't stop because of pain. He didn't stop because of anything. This father who came running for his son didn't stop for anything. He didn't worry about the impression he had made on, his, on the staff culture on his farm. He didn't worry about the financial impact of his son returning home. He didn't worry about any of that stuff. He didn't let his prejudices and his preferences get in the way. Why am I so passionate about this? Because I don't want to build a church that only impacts those who have already been brought to life by Jesus. I want to build a church where we realize and understand that a church without the broken is a broken church. Now, sure, we can't all be perf- broken up. We, there's got to be healing and measures of healing. But God says, I want to build a church that the broken can come and find healing and wholeness. And I want you to be the people who will love them like I love them. He's dealing with us, guys. He's dealing with me. He's dealing with my preferences and my prejudices and my smallnesses. And he's dealing with you. You want to play a part in the gospel story, in the, in the story of God? You've got to deal with your prejudices. You've got to bring them to the foot of the cross, repent, and turn from them and leave them there. There's no space for prejudice in the gospel. You've got to bring your preferences. Well, I don't like hanging around this sort of person or this age person or this kind of person. No, you leave it at the cross. And you begin to walk and allow the rhythms of God's grace to invade your story. Luke 15 is not about a principle. Luke 15 is about the heart of our Father who sent His Son to earth to die so that you and I could go from death to life and remember. See, we forget. We remember that we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. Outside of the blood of Jesus, I had no access to the Father and I had no way to heaven. Just telling you. And no way to life in this earth. But because of Jesus... And him getting over every prejudice and preference ever known to man. I'm alive. Because of Jesus. I want to be a part of those stories. I want to live a life that tells those stories. I want my kids to ask me questions. Dad, why did you do that? Why did you make that decision at that time in our lives that actually made our families lose some things? Well, boy... Because there's a Father in heaven who sent His Son to die so that lost sons and daughters can come to life. The gospel is glorious. Not, not the church, not the walls of the church, not meetings. The gospel. Love of Jesus is glorious. Can you close your eyes for me? That's all right. Maybe if I could just have someone on pads, please. Thanks, Pete. I um, want to speak to the believers first. Luke 15 is many things, and we love to preach it as we are the prodigal, and we love to think of the Father as the one who leaves the 99, and it is all of that. It is also a major challenge to every reason that stops us reaching out. It's a major challenge to every prejudice I have 
God says, I don't care for your prejudices. I want my lost sons and daughters home. I don't care how justified you feel you are in having them. Now you have been adopted into my family. I am your father. And you are healed and whole. Your preferences, your smallnesses. If you've made a decision to believe in Jesus, won't you lay your hands on your heart just for a minute for me? I pray for myself, God, and I pray for my friends. That if there are areas that I've spoken about tonight that limit our ability to love, that limit our ability to reach out, that limit what you can do in and through our lives, to see sons and daughters who were lost and dead come alive, God. I pray, God, Spirit of God, come upon us. Reveal. Give us the courage to recognize them and to leave them at the cross tonight, to move beyond it. Racism must go. Classism, prejudice of any kind must go. Preferences that are not biblically understood and with maturity processed through the Bible lens must go. They must go. There's no place for them. Oh, Mark, I've been hurt by people in the church. Well, get in the queue. I've spent most of my life being hurt by people in the church, and yet God says, I will restore because I have a minister of reconciliation, and I will bring healing and wholeness, and I'll make you stronger so I can send you further for the gospel and allow Jesus to heal you tonight, son and daughter of the living God.